Welcome to The God Solution, a place where we discuss solid evidence for the Christian faith and interviews with leading Christian apologists. Each week, you'll be encouraged in your faith and equipped to defend it and share it in your daily life. You can find out more about The God Solution at godsolutionshow.com. Now, here's your host, Nate Herbst. Welcome to The God Solution Show, where we discuss answers to humanity's questions about God and God's answers for humanity's questions. I'm Nate Herbst, and I'm ecstatic that you're tuned back in. I hope you enjoyed the recent interviews with Dr. Mike Behe. It's been great having him on, talking about the improbability of evolution. I know that we can be confident that God created this universe and it did not just happen through random naturalistic evolution. I think atheism loses yet again. Anyway, today we're going to be veering sharply from that topic into a topic that is a little bit more mystical. It's not necessarily evidence for Christianity or against naturalism or atheism. It could provide some evidence against metaphysical naturalism in that it's proving or showing evidence for a supernatural aspect to the universe. Well, we are all intrigued by stories of extraterrestrials. They're in movies, even a big one coming out this summer. And the topic always seems to get our attention. I know if you're like me, it's it's definitely gotten your attention in the past. I've never really studied it or thought much about it. I've always just kind of thought it was interesting. And to be honest, a lot of times I've thought it was kind of hokey. But today we're going to be talking to world-renowned astronomer Hugh Ross, who is the president and founder of Reasons to Believe. He's been on before talking about how evolution isn't possible. We've also had numerous Reasons to Believe staff on the show. Today we're going to be talking to Dr. Ross about extraterrestrials. Dr. Ross is astronomer and best-selling author, and he travels the globe speaking on the compatibility of advancing scientific discoveries with the timeless truths of Christianity. His organization, Reasons to Believe, is dedicated to demonstrating via a variety of resources and events that science and the Bible are not enemies, but rather allies. You can find out more about Reasons to Believe at reasons.org. That's reasons.org. From science to sci-fi, we're all intrigued by the idea of life out there. But what are we to make of people who've actually had close encounters? Astronomer Hugh Ross shares his experiences with the dark side of alien encounters this week on The God Solution. Right now, calling in is Dr. Ross. Welcome to The God Solution, Dr. Ross. Thank you for inviting me. Hey, well, it's always great having you and other scientists on staff with you at Reasons to Believe on the show. And I'm excited to talk to you a little bit today about something that we haven't talked about on the show before, and that's extraterrestrials. Of course, big movies coming out right now on this topic. It's kind of on people's minds. Probably everybody's been intrigued at some point about this topic, but a lot of times we all kind of shrug it off. Ah, oh, that's kind of nonsense. But I thought it would be exciting to talk to you, an astronomer, about this, to hear your perspective on this topic. So first of all, scientifically, what's the probability of finding intelligent life somewhere out there in the universe? Well, a lot of astronomers think the probability is high based on the Drake equation. And uh, Frank Drake, back in the 1960s, came up with his equation to calculate the probability of finding intelligent life elsewhere. And he said, we have no idea what these probabilities are, but let's just assume they're all 10%. So 
So he assumed that 10% of all stars would have planets in which life could possibly exist. 10% of those planets would actually have the origin of life. 10% of them, uh, that uh, primitive life would evolve into advanced life. 10% of those advanced life would develop technology. So that's how they came up with their optimistic estimate. But the, here's the fatal flaw in that reasoning. What if one of those probabilities was zero? If only one of them has a probability of zero, then we have a zero probability that intelligent life exists elsewhere. And, you know, I've debated a number of physicists on this. Interesting, I did a debate at Caltech at the International Skeptic Society Conference. The one point where I agreed with my atheist opponent, uh, Victor Stenger, is that as we look out in the universe, all we see is hostility for advanced light. Every star we look at, every galaxy, uh, except for our own, uh, every planet, planetary system we're able to discover, every one of them is hostile to the existence of advanced life. And that's called the rare earth hypothesis. You know, some of my colleagues think maybe we could find a planet in which a bacterium could exist for a few months, but as far as advanced life goes, everywhere we look, we see hostility. We've yet to find, for example, a star sufficiently like the sun that it would be a candidate to have a planet around it that conceivably could host advanced life. And those optimistic probabilities presuppose naturalistic evolution, which we both agree is not possible. Well, that's what's interesting is that uh, when it comes to the origin of life, you need certain building blocks. They have to be at a certain abundance level, and they all have to be homochiral. So, for example, all the amino acids have to have a left-handed configuration. All the ribose sugars have to have a right-handed configuration. And there's no known mechanism that, in, that will produce, by naturalistic means, homochiral molecules. Moreover, there's no naturalistic mechanism seen anywhere in the universe that gives us anything more uh, than a very low abundance level of the building block molecules. For that matter, we've yet to find any source of abiotic ribose. Well, all the ribose we see comes from living or once living resources. So if you don't have the building blocks, uh, you do not have a naturalistic model for the origin of life. That's the zero probability exactly. uh, fatal flaw in the Drake equation. Exactly. Now, Victor Stenger, if I'm not mistaken, is famous for the argument from empty space. Is that correct? Well, in the debate I had with him, he argued, well, you know, everywhere we look, it's hostile. And he says the hostility proves that the God of the Bible doesn't exist. His argument was that if God really loved us, he wouldn't constrain us to such a small planet. He would actually design the universe in such a way that we could inhabit the whole universe. He says the fact that we don't see that proves that such a loving God does not exist. And, of course, he's overlooking the fact that from God's perspective, humanity at this point is too immature to be trusted with a larger habitat space. You know, and the same reason that I would constrain the living space of a one-year-old for its own safety, likewise God presently, is constraining the living space of human beings. So if you look at chapter 21 in Revelation, he promises that once evil is conquered and removed once and for all, we're going to be liberated into an unimaginably large habitat space. Can't wait for that day. I think his own argument presupposes that a hospitable area 
would lead one to the conclusion that there is a creator, but I guess maybe I'm misunderstanding his argument. I don't think it's a strong argument against God's existence. So what do you make of reported UFO sightings? Well, I've been dealing with UFO reports since I was 16 years of age, and it's just because I was an amateur astronomer before I became a professional. So everywhere I went, I got the job of handling the UFO sightings. And about 99% of what people reported to me, I could explain as natural phenomena, as uh, military experiments, uh, or as a hoax. But there's a 1% residual that doesn't fall into that category. And this is what the astronomer Alan Hynek referred to as the close encounters, where the encounter with the UFO was so close, there was no denying its reality. And so, for example, there's over 2,000 documented cases where UFOs have crashed into the Earth and have caused the ground to be depressed, uh, vegetation to be scorched or to be damaged in some way, and snow to be melted. Yet when you go to the site, there's no debris, there's no artifacts, and when the UFO is going through the atmosphere at velocities above 18,000 miles per hour, no heat friction, and no sonic boom, which tells me that these residual UFOs are real, but they're not physical. And that explains why a professor I had, Carl Sagan, years ago, said UFOs don't exist, because in his worldview, there's no such thing as non-physical reality. But as a Christian, I do believe that God indeed created intelligent beings that are not physical. And I think that's the answer to these small category of UFOs that prove to leave behind physical effects but themselves are not physical. So are any of these sightings or encounters legitimate then? It sounds like you're saying yes, and it sounds like you're saying they are otherworldly. They are not physical. Well, over half a dozen uh, physicists, all of them non-theists, have studied the UFO phenomena for over a decade. And every one of them says that it comes from some interdimensional realm. In other words, they're saying it's not part of the dimensions of the universe. It comes from beyond the dimensions of the universe. That these are creatures that are not constrained by the physics of the universe, but can come into our universe and leave it at will. And that explains these physical effects by apparently non-physical entities. So what's the difference between close encounters of the first, second, and third kind? Yeah, that was something developed by the astrophysicist Alan Hynek in the 1960s, and he defined a close encounter where the human uh, has an encounter with a UFO that's less than 500 feet away, so very near in proximity. An encounter of the second kind is like the crash site, where you go to the site and you can see that the ground has been depressed, and snow's been melted or vegetation damaged, and yet there's no sonic boom. Uh, so that's where you got actual evidence that this UFO left behind physical effects. An encounter of the third kind is where the human uh, actually sights a being on board one of these craft, but has no communication with a being. Now, an encounter of the fourth kind is where there's a communication between this UFO being and the human being. 
and an encounter of the fifth kind is where the human observer experiences physical injury and, in the most extreme cases, death. People have actually been killed by these encounters. So are any of the encounters positive, or are they all negative? If that's one thing that all the investigators agree upon, that it's 100% deleterious. It's never beneficial. The best you're going to come away from with one of these close encounters is recurring, terrifying nightmares. And the worst-case scenario is where you actually get killed. Have you heard that people have received specific direction from aliens to reject Christ? Yes. I mean, uh, in encounters of the fourth kind, where there's actual communication between the human observer and these uh, UFO beings, um, two things you see. Number one, they love to tell you what the universe is all about. They love to communicate astronomical information. Uh, but what's interesting is that what you're told uh, sounds impressive to a layperson, but is inaccurate when it's communicated to someone who actually knows the astronomy and the physics. To give you an example, 100 years ago, these UFO beings were saying they were from the backside of the moon. And when the general public became educated enough to realize that's not credible, they said they were from Venus. And when humans realized how hot it is in the surface of Venus, then they said they were from Mars. Now they're claiming to be from a distant planetary system. So they're always like one step ahead of the general public, but likewise one step behind uh, the leading scientists in those disciplines. The second thing you notice is their message is always deceptive. They're trying to communicate uh, things about human condition that simply are not correct. And to answer your question directly, um, there is a book called the Arantia book, U-R-A-N-T-I-A. And uh, it's about a 4,000-page book that was communicated from UFO beings through automatic writing to human contactees. And about a third of the content of that book is focused on denying the deity of Jesus Christ. Wow. And that's what's interesting about the communication, is how much it's focused on denying the Christian faith as opposed to competing world religions. A common thread is uh, you'll get a message like, there is no such thing as eternal life. And yet we're supposed to believe that these beings uh, from some interdimensional realm uh, are not experiencing longer lifespans than we are. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to The God Solution Show. Go to godsolutionshow.com for more information on The God Solution. So if we presuppose metaphysical naturalism, then these would have to be beings from other galaxies or planets or what have you. But if we realize that there is this spiritual aspect to the universe, that there is more than naturalism, there is this possibility of spiritual beings. And we see that all throughout Scripture. And this is something that I don't talk about a lot, but I know in my past, I definitely, for several different months, had very demonic experiences that terrified me, they horrified me, and uh, to the point where I was unwilling to even talk about it with most people for many years. And as I began opening up about it, I realized a lot of other people have had similar experiences. And then as I traveled, I've been all over the world, I've been in ministry settings, where people outside of our Western mindset talk about seeing demons on a regular basis, on a daily basis. I know in Nepal, for example, we talk to people 
that, that had these experiences quite commonly. So a lot of times I think that in America and in the West, we presuppose naturalism and you get what you expect. We, we don't have a lot of supernatural experiences. But I think it would be crazy to say that supernatural experiences are rare in the world today. Am I right? Well, you are. I mean, uh, we've written a book on this titled Lights in the Sky and Little Green Men at the Reasons to Believe. And I, a lot of it comes from my experience in traveling around the world just like you have. And what I've noticed is you get different levels of UFO encounters depending where you go in the world. And there's a one-to-one correspondence between the level of occult activity in the populace and how many people are having these close encounters with UFOs. So, for example, I went to the Soviet Union when the Soviets were still in control, and uh, I was finding, for example, in talking to uh, physicists, that it looked to me like about a quarter of the physicists attending my lectures were demon-possessed, and they were having all these UFO encounters. Now, I claim in Lights in the Sky and Little Green Men that our explanation of these UFOs is scientifically testable. If you close the doors to occult activity, that will put an end to your UFO encounters. But if you open the doors, you can expect this to happen in your life. And so I close the book off with a list of about 40 different calling cards. The demons cannot attack you. They cannot impose themselves upon you unless you invite them. But there's all these different ways that we can invite demonic uh, entry into our lives. But if you take those invitation cards away, they can't touch you. And so I'm saying, hey, here's the proof of the pudding. Close all the doors to the occult and see if that doesn't put an end to your UFO encounters. On the other hand, if you've got a lot of open doors to the occult, don't be surprised if this begins to happen in your life. Wow. So do you have any specific experiences that you could elaborate on with those connections between the occult and alien encounters? Well, I'll give you an example. I mean, um, uh, I'm not just an astrophysicist. I'm also a pastor. And I remember there was a couple in our church that had just purchased a home, and they called me and said, uh, there's one room in the house uh, where spoons and forks are floating in midair. And it's a room that's 10 degrees colder and consistently colder than all the other rooms in the house. We think that there's a demon causing this. And uh, can you come over and help us find the article? Because they figured they, they were Christians. They said the only way this can be happening is that the former owners left some kind of occult instrument. So I walked into the room. We prayed for about 15 minutes, and I noticed that there's a piece of paint chipped off, and it was a very dark midnight blue color. So I told the couple, that's a color that's often used uh, in rooms where they're holding seances. And so we talked to the neighbors, and they said, yes, there were teenage boys that lived there that were holding seances. So we looked back in the room, and I could see a faint octagonal shape on the wall that says, let's look for that instrument. They said, well, we've already looked in the attic, we've looked under the house, and we looked in the garage, and I says, well, Let's first start with a garage. And there was a pile of lumber up in the rafters. I said, have you taken that pile of lumber down? They said, no. We took it down, and in the middle of that pile of lumber was an octagonal-shaped astrological forecaster. We destroyed that forecaster. The temperature of the room went back to normal, 
and no more floating spoons and no more spooky feel when you went into the room. The demon departed. Very, very interesting. Bizarre to say the least. Now, the skeptics in the audience are probably going, you're just making that up. You're, you're crazy. Uh, so what would you say to them? Well, I'd say read the book, because what you're going to see is that there's a wealth of documentation that, uh, I mean, we're talking millions of UFO encounters by people around the world, and this is a phenomenon that we can document goes back at least 3,000 years. We can document that it evolves with respect to human society and human worldviews, and that it's deceptive. That by itself tells us that something real is going on. The crash sites tell you something real is going on. And then we can see the one-to-one correspondence with the occult and witchcraft. And to me, the proof of the pudding is, close the doors of the occult, this stuff will go away. Open the doors of the occult, this stuff will come. And if you look at it as a worldwide phenomenon as you have, you know, going to places like Nepal, I mean, I've seen it in North Africa, uh, France, uh, Equatorial Brazil. These are places where people are a lot more involved in occult activities than here in the United States. And what you see there, I think, as you've been able to personally witness, everybody believes. They see it all the time. Here in America, uh, because people aren't as deeply involved in the occult, we don't think anything supernatural like this is going on. Get a bigger perspective and you'll see it. Yeah, that, that village in Nepal was near the border with India and southern Nepal. And they told us, we see these demons on a daily basis. And it was quite interesting. We shared the gospel in this village, and they said, if your God is real, he will heal our sick, and, and we will quit seeing demons if you pray. And I remember I was 19, and I thought, well, <laughs> I can't fake this, you know. I can pray, but I can't heal anyone, and I can't make these uh, demons quit coming around. So we just prayed, and I was there with a large team of several other people. And I didn't see any dramatic results that day. I didn't see anything happen. And I didn't even speak the language, so it was hard to really understand what was going on. We had one translator, and he was spread very thin with all the translation that needed to be done. But I have till this day a letter from the missionary that we were working with in the area that says that after we left, those things happened. People were healed, and these appearances did not happen. And they started a church in that city. The whole village collectively decided to follow Christ so it, it kind of follows the pattern that you're talking about, how when there is this door open to demonic factors, people are going to have these experiences. And when they close it and come to Christ, that ceases to be the case. Yeah, and sometimes people need to see the power of God's Holy Spirit. I remember when I was in the Soviet Union uh, back in the late 80s, and speaking to this audience of physicists, about a quarter of them, were yelling extreme obscenities about Jesus Christ, accusing Jesus of uh, of being a homosexual rapist, for example, just horrible things. And everybody there just thought it was normal. Well, I had a colleague, and I said, you know, I've got a message to give here. Can you please pray and silence the demons? And so we prayed, and suddenly these people were yelling and screaming at me. All went dead quiet. Everybody looked around and stared at these people, and what they recognized was, here is a power that's greater than the power of the demons. And they paid attention to my message, and there was a tremendous uh, response to the message. But what it took was a demonstration. There is one more powerful than the demons. 
And we see that all throughout scriptures. It's crazy to minimize the reality of God's word because of a metaphysical, naturalistic approach. And I think even as Christians in the West, we fall for that occasionally. So what are ways that people leave doors to the occult open without realizing it? Well, my wife and I once did a weekend uh, conference with Christian college students. These were students who were raised in Christian homes, and we took a survey and found that about a third of the girls had opened doors of the occult and did not know it. And the most common way they did that is with a Ouija board. It's like nobody ever told them that that was a way to make contact with demons. And uh, with the guys, we found it was certain kinds of video games uh, that exposed them to the occult. And so as I speak in churches, it amazes me how many people raised in the Christian community have opened doors to the occult and are not even aware of it. And so just, you know, I think we need to teach more about this in churches so people can realize, you know what, that's an open door. And the fact is we need to do that with close relatives. One thing that impressed me about reading about King David, before he took the throne, he confessed the sins of his parents unto the Lord. So whatever they were involved in would not impact the people he was responsible for. You know, sometimes it's occult activities of a grandparent that can affect the lives of the young children. And there you don't have to worry about the doors you don't know. They're simply responsible to agree with God in prayer that what your grandfather was doing is something that was not pleasing to God. That's enough to close the door uh, for you and your children. Wonderful. Well, we're coming to the end of the show here, and what strikes me is this is one of those evidences against metaphysical naturalism. I think near-death experiences are similar. We've talked to Dr. Gary Habermas about the objective NDEs. He says we have to separate those from the subjective ones and how there is real quantifiable objective data in support of NDEs and that that points to something other than the physical universe. And this is another one of those things that tells us there's more out there than just the physical universe. I'll, I'll, I'll share a real quick story with you. Once I was driving home to Durango from Denver, and I had fallen asleep in the back seat of the car, so I asked, uh, this is in college, I asked a couple of my college buddies to drive, and in the middle of the night they slammed on the brakes, and I've never heard two guys freak out so badly in my life, cussing, screaming, freaking out. They sped up to over 90. They were terrified, and they claimed that they saw this this ghostly figure in front of the car looking them in the eyes, and it was pretty terrifying. I won't go into details. But both of these guys were non-Christians, and we, we finally got to a gas station. We were nearly on empty, and these guys wouldn't get out of the car. And so I got out of the car, and they said, how do you have the courage to get out of the car after seeing something like that? And I just told them, guys, there is a spiritual reality out there, and I'm on the right side of it. So that's my encouragement to the listeners today. Uh, this, this, this world is, is, uh, is just part of what's out there. There is a spiritual reality, and Jesus Christ is the only answer. God has created two different kinds of intelligent life, us human beings and the angels. But for every fallen angel, there are two righteous angels. And it tells us in Hebrews 13, too, many of us as believers in Jesus Christ have entertained righteous angels unawares. 
So there are supernatural beings out there that God has created to assist us in his ministry. Well, any concluding thoughts? Well, that's my concluding thought is, you know, you can be free uh, from these demonic encounters simply by closing the doors of the occult, and that will not only free you from those encounters, it will also deliver you from deception. Well, Dr. Ross, thank you so much for coming back on The God Solution. You're very welcome. Dr. Ross, keep up the fight. Okay, thank you. We'll talk to you later. Bye. Bye-bye. I hope you enjoyed the interview with Dr. Hugh Ross today. The main point of everything that we do on this show and the reality of what Dr. Ross talked about today is there is a spiritual component to the universe. Jesus Christ alone is Lord and Savior. If you've never taken the step to put your faith and trust in him, I would ask you to verbalize that this morning, saying, Jesus, I believe that you are who you say you are, that you died on the cross for my sins and rose again to give me new life. Please come into my life as Savior and Lord. Please make me the kind of person that you want me to be. If you do know Jesus, I hope that you'll continue walking strong with him. Go to GodSolutionShow.com to get all of our past shows. And while you're there, consider partnering with the ministry of the God Solution Show and make a tax-deductible donation. Thanks so much for listening. Like I always say, an open mind, honest heart, humble disposition, and diligent search always lead to Jesus. That's my hope, that you'll walk close to him and share him with those you know. Definitely let your friends and family know about the God Solution Show as well. Thanks so much for tuning in. We'll talk to you again next week. You've been listening to The God Solution with Nate Herbst. We hope that you were encouraged by what you heard today and are better equipped to share Christ this week. You can get the audio from today's broadcast and all the past God Solution shows at godsolutionshow.com. Thanks for listening and being a part of The God Solution.